Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Good morning, and it is a it's a beautiful morning. It's uh, it's nice to feel like spring might actually be here, as it will probably rain tomorrow. But uh, we'll we'll embrace the sunshine that was here today and yesterday. And I, I hope that you're doing well. Uh, I know that I, I chatted with a, a few of you, and you've already had your dinners, and now Sunday is going to be relaxed, or you've got dinners on the horizon. But there is there's much to be grateful for this weekend. Um, the the gift of the resurrection, the gift of the knowledge of, of Jesus, and the gift of family, and, and to be able to be together. Uh, let me open just this morning with a, a poem this Easter morning. On Easter Day, the, the lilies bloom, triumphant, risen from their tomb. Their bulbs have undergone rebirth, born from the silence of the earth, symbolically to tell all men that Christ the Savior lives again. The angels pure and white as they have come and rolled the stone away. And with the lifting of the stone, the shadow of the cross is gone. As we, as we begin this morning, uh, first of all, if this is your first time here at City Collective, thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Jason, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And we, our desire this morning, especially on this Easter Sunday, is that wherever you find yourself on, on a, your journey of faith, that you find this to be a, a place of, of safety, that you, can, that you can be yourself, that you can come as you are and ask questions and, and be in conversation. And, and my, my hope in my heart is that you might find a place where you can belong and discover who Jesus is. Because the, the Easter season, I think, is it's full of many different things, but ultimately... It is the celebration, the recognition and the acknowledgement, the reflection of, of Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. So as we begin, uh, would you please join me in reading from John chapter 20 as we enter into that first Easter morning, and you can follow along. Early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. We're reading from John, and John likes to call himself the beloved, and he likes to show that he got there first, but I think that's just always funny. Uh, He bent over, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed, and they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, 
she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and other at the foot. And they asked, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told me that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. I think there's a lot of different things that we can dive into when it comes to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But uh, I, I think it's interesting, the passage and how it, how it lays out the expectation of what was to be found. In, in the lead up to Easter weekend, one of the things that I've been reflecting upon this week, in, in my preparation, I felt like I was constantly getting interrupted. Uh, interrupted by text messages, phone calls, emails, and I don't know if it was a particularly busy week for uh, scammers and telemarketers, but it seemed like they had my phone number on speed dial. Uh, and, and I felt incredibly interrupted, incredibly frustrated by it. I don't know if you've, you've encountered this, that there's this constant rise, it feels like, of, of telemarketers and scam artists trying to, trying to get a hold of you and trying to, to sell you on the latest and greatest and find out about, can I give you, have you take a survey on your latest experience that you had at this location and we'll give you nothing in response to your time. But one of the things that I tried to do this week was put myself on one, all the do not disturb lists that I could. And once I did that, the telemarketers stopped, but the scam artists continued. And one of the things that I have noticed is that they are incredibly good at what they do. There is some very legitimate looking emails and text messages that, that get sent out that would make us believe that perhaps there is uh, something there to it. Maybe the, the the wide and elaborate proposals that they give of what they're going to give to you and, and what they might have would spark some skepticism. Hopefully, it would spark some skepticism. And I think that we've actually, because of being inundated with all of those moments, we've, we've grown a little bit skeptical on first glance. Uh, we're, we're, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I, I want to reiterate that. It's good to be a little bit skeptical when, when someone from Nigeria is asking for $200 and that it's going to be a, a windfall for you in the next 60 days. Just be careful on those ones. Um, word to the wise. What, what did happen to me, though, was uh, I got an email that I was supposed to actually read from the CRA that was needing something for me actually, and what did I do? Because of my skepticism and my being inundated with information, I deleted it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, thankfully, uh, you can recover those from your junk mail. But here's the thing, even if one of those emails saying that I had received a sizable inheritance from a long-lost relative was true, I think I would have a hard time believing it. 
I think I've, I've been trained to be skeptical. And it's interesting that when it comes to the story of Jesus, we know this. We know that there was at least a dozen messianic or prophetic movements between roughly 100 years before and about 100 years after Jesus, ending with a revolt in 130 AD. And in each of those cases, the movement ended with the violent death of the founder. And this is what happens. When the founder dies, the followers have a choice. They can either clear off and go their own way, or they can make a decision that uh, they're going to get another leader. Historians like Josephus note that going around and saying that the original leader had actually risen from the dead just really wasn't an option. Even though loyal Pharisaic Jews would have had the idea that resurrection would have been a part of their tradition. This was ultimately what they were aiming for, the resurrection of, of all people, but not so much one person coming back in the middle of history. The, the, the kingdom of God, the raising of all dead, but not one person coming back in the middle of history. And if a person had said, oh, well, well, didn't you hear what he was saying during his lifetime? He said that a resurrection was coming. Well, then his friends would probably say something along the lines of, don't be stupid. They just killed him. We've just buried him, in fact. And in John 20, this is kind of where we find ourselves. That the impossible hasn't taken place just yet in, in, in the uh, minds of the disciples. This is what they know. Jesus had died. And this is where they find themselves. But something took place that first Easter weekend. The, the Friday that we call good saw the unjust crucifixion of a man. And of this, most people find a sense of consensus. For some, a good man died. For others, a political insurrectionist. For, for others, a, a son or a brother was unjustly murdered. However, that might have been where the morning began, but the passage we just read would suggest that something happened in the in-between. In the, in the silence of Saturday, Something happened. Something happened between the time that they took the body of Jesus from the Roman cross and buried him in a borrowed tomb. Many in that moment would have had different views of the man in, in person, in Jesus. But one thing that they did agree upon is that he was dead. And then the women they went to the cemetery, they went to the tomb to anoint the body, and they didn't find what they had expected. The disciples came running, and they didn't find what they expected. And what they saw that first Easter Sunday morning was not a vacated body, but an empty tomb. And I find this, this interesting. Within Christianity, you've kind of got your two hallmark moments of the year. You've got your Christmas season and, and Easter. Easter is very different than Christmas. The symbol of, of Easter is an empty tomb. But you can't depict or domesticate emptiness. 
You can't really make it into pageants and, and string it with lights. Christmas has, has a large and colorful, colorful cast of characters beyond your principal three. It's got the angels, the innkeeper, the, the shepherds, the, the heavenly host, the three wise men, the Herod, the star of Bethlehem, the, uh, the animals. Everybody gets a role in the Christmas pageant. Uh, no, no, nobody's left to the side once Christmas comes around. And in one form of another, we see them represented so often that we would recognize them anywhere. Yet, I would say emptiness doesn't have that same charm. It doesn't seem to move people to give presents to each other or sing choruses or old songs. With Easter, it's entirely different. Even, even the great courses of, of Handel's Messiah doesn't seem to hit the same way like a good Christmas carol. Emptiness doesn't seem to inspire in the same way as the usual moments of Christmas. And, and when we look at what it actually says in the Gospels, the Gospels are actually incredibly chaotic around the resurrection. We know this. It began in the dark the stone has been rolled aside. The gospel of Matthew says that there was, there was an earthquake and in a tomb that there was two white-clad figures, maybe one white-clad figure. Mary Magdalene seems to have gotten there before anybody else, but there was a man she thought was there at first that was a gardener, and perhaps Mary, the mother of Jesus, of, of, of James, was with her, and another woman named Joanna. And, and our account says that Peter got there, and then John gets there, and elsewhere there's a suggestion that there was women and the disciples and the women went and told the disciples the disciples didn't go to the tomb. It's chaotic. There's actually so many different pieces within the gospel story. There was the sound of people running of, of confusion. And Matthew speaks of great fear and great joy. It's not a major production. And, and the minor attractions that we've associated with Easter, actually, the, the bunnies, the baskets, the bonnets, the, dry, the dyed eggs, they have so little to do with what it's about. And if the gospel writers had wanted to tell it in a way to convince the world that Jesus indeed rose from the dead, they would presumably have done it with a little more skill and fanfare. But here, there isn't a ton of skill in fanfare. They simply seem to be telling it the way that it was. And it's perhaps the chaos of that moment that reaches to reassure our unsure hearts. I like that about Easter. That it feels incredibly real to our hearts. That something unimaginable happened. Something that left all who were witnesses in a state of chaotic joy. But yet, with a singular declaration of good news. Throughout these past months, we've been able to kind of gather together, have, have meals and have conversations and, and reconnect, and it's been wonderful sharing foods with friends and family, you're, you're talking about different things. And, and I, I've noticed even for us, we're talking about the state of the world. And if we're being honest, when we have that conversation come to the forefront, it seems like good news is kind of hard to come by. Talking about the crisis in the Ukraine, 
atrocities in, in Syria, the COVID pandemic, unchecked climate change, deeply entrenched racism, the ever-expanding gap between the rich and the poor, increasing national and personal debt, and the list seems to go on and on and on, and it almost leaves us feeling like nothing good can ever happen again. But what happens when good news enters the story? I think of, I think of those videos. Uh, so we, we've got our own little baby boom happening in the church, and there's lots of, lots of announcements of pregnancies going on, and you, and you see... You see those videos of uh, someone telling their, their parents or their grandparents about this little one that's, that's on the way. And it's, sometimes it's in this middle of a game and it's a serious moment or they're having a serious conversation and they're not expecting it all and their mind is completely somewhere else and they see whatever it is, if it's a, 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 little, a little onesie that says that you're going to be a grandparent on it and it takes a moment. And they go from a moment of, I'm thinking about all these different other things to, oh, this is good news. This is good news that actually brings me great joy. But you notice that it's not like a really well-reserved joy. It's chaotic joy. It's a joy that invokes tears and laughter and surprise and perhaps shock. There's a lot of different emotions that come in. And this is what good news does. Good news interrupts the cycle of bad news with chaotic joy. And this is what's happening in this moment of Easter. They've had bad news. They feel like they're at the end of it. They don't have any idea of how they're going to proceed. The one that they followed for the past three years is dead in their minds. And then suddenly they have their bad news interrupted with the greatest of good news and they have nothing but chaotic joy in that moment. They don't even know what to say or how to say it or what, what details to latch on to. But they do know this, that this good news that they found is good news that they need to share. And that's what good news does within each of us. And this isn't a question of your personal perspective, optimist, pessimist, uh, Realist that's actually a pessimist because it's, it's a little more culturally accepted. Uh, we live in a world where much of life is actually really hard. And yet Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is the powerful reminder that hope is not dead. That evil did not win. That death did not, nor does it, get the final word. And this morning, maybe you might just consider the story of resurrection. Because if it is true in our world where we are wired for skepticism because if it is true if the unpolished haphazard joyful reiteration of easter sunday is true does it not change everything because here's the thing this isn't this isn't World War Z. This isn't The Walking Dead. This isn't 30 Days of Night of scary zombies exiting a tomb. The story is not about someone exiting a tomb. The story begins with the revelation of an empty tomb. This is different than the moment that we talked about a, a few weeks ago with, with Lazarus. Because Lazarus has the stone rolled away and then he walks out. But in this scenario where we see Jesus, the stone is rolled away and there is no body that is present. 
Something more has taken place even before Sunday morning. Romans 6.23 states that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The cost of our sin, the, 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 the ways in which we fall short in all the areas of our life, the presence of sin in the world brought the presence of death into our reality, and it's a reality that all of us face. But the empty tomb which was discovered not only by the numerous eyewitnesses, but by the religious and government authorities that affirmed that the tomb was empty. They thought it happened a different way, but they confirmed the empty tomb. This, this, This just wasn't Jesus coming back. This, This wasn't the story of Lazarus, of him just walking out. See, the, the law, the prophets... The Psalms, the Gospels, the Epistles, even church history, Eastern and Western theological traditions. It has even this line in the Apostles' Creed that I think gives us an idea of the in-between. And it's so central to the Gospel message, and I think sometimes we miss it, because this same event goes by various names. The Great Descent, the Harrowing of Hades, Christus Victor, but they all refer to the narrative that culminates in the resurrection of Jesus before dawn on Easter Sunday. The Apostles' Creed says, He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended into hell. Sometimes translated as inferno or darkness. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. The early church actually regarded this descent as far more than Jesus being entombed and visiting the place of the dead. They regarded it as Jesus' victorious rescue mission into the kingdom of darkness. This this creed is adorned with symbolic language and poetic excess to a degree. But Hades isn't actually a giant fiery dungeon that's beneath the earth. You won't find literal gates of bronze or broken dungeon chains down in the magma, but that doesn't make the story untrue. Rather, Christ's victory is real, and it's told as a theological narrative woven from the scriptures and proclaimed as gospel truth. Death is defeated. This is, this is the story of Easter, that death is defeated, and life is the invitation. The king of life descends through death and ascends from death, shattering its gates. And he's not alone. When Lazarus exits the tomb, he comes out a single man. But when Jesus rises from the grave, when the empty tomb is there as a testimony to the fact that he is risen. Jesus leaves the ruins of death itself, leading all of its prisoners, you and I, to freedom. And it's coming out, not just into the same existence that was, but into the new existence that no one had ever lived. This, this is the good news. This is the good news at work and the gospel truth that is given to us. The first, that in Jesus' death, the power of death is broken. Why does Jesus die? He willingly, he gives himself to death. And Jesus is going to die a death to go into death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
Death is going to swallow up that which it should never swallow. I want you to think of it this way, that Jesus is descending into death, and it's like the light in the darkness that we see talked about in the Gospel of John. When light enters into darkness, the darkness cannot handle it. It cannot comprehend it. And the darkness of death could not comprehend or handle the light that was life in Jesus. That Jesus descends full of light into the darkness and blows it wide open so that death no longer gets that final word. Not just for himself, but for you and for me and for all people of all time. This is why Jesus repeatedly says, do not be afraid. He, he has 10 moments post resurrection that he spends with the disciples that we know of that it's it's reiterated to us and the most common language that he consistently communicates is actually do not be afraid and i've heard this said so many times but i'm more convinced of this than ever that all forms of fear are actually forms of the fear of death not not specifically maybe the the fear of dying but I'm afraid of losing my job because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of the death of my identity. Or I, I'm afraid of, of losing control because I, I'm afraid of, of, of the death of what I believe is good for me. That, that death is always seemingly on our doorstep and therefore fear seems to be our response. But Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because I have conquered it. Fear doesn't have to have a hold on your life. There is a place that you can arrive in beyond living in the dominion of fear. And imagine the possibilities of a life that we're no longer bound by fear. How fear cripples us before we act. How it hijacks our purpose. How it moves into relationships before reconciliation can ever happen. Because fear sometimes wants us to believe things that are untrue. But so often we latch onto it and we miss the opportunity of the moment. But Jesus' invitation of resurrection and of life. I want you to hear that invitation this morning. Do not be afraid. Because we don't have to fear death anymore. Death cannot separate you from the love of God. And as Jesus and as God is prone to do over and over in the scriptures, he takes that which is broken and he redeems it for good. In Jesus, death has now become the doorway to life. If that is not the ultimate redemption of that which is lost and broken, I do not know what is. But for the second piece that we know that is the gospel truth is that we have an assurance of our resurrection. That he'll raise us up with and to himself. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says, And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. And, and third, our rescue from, from death and entry into eternal life doesn't await us simply in, in the next life or in a coming age. That good news is for today. 
Romans 6, verses 8 and 11 says, The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, that he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Whatever hell or Hades or darkness or death or whatever you're experiencing right now, that's where Christ comes. Full of light into the darkness that we carry. He descends into that waterless pit or dark abyss, whatever form it takes. And the eternal life that he won is not merely heaven someday when you die, but it's the fullness of joy here and now. Henry Nouwen, he says that Jesus didn't rise from the grave to baffle his opponents or to make a victory statement or to prove to those who crucified him that that he was right after all. Jesus rose as a sign to those who had loved him and followed him that God's divine love is stronger than death. This is what the resurrection is. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on all that Jesus has taught us in the lives that he invites us into. The resurrection is God's great yes to the Sermon on the Mount. Yes to the meek. Yes to the gentle. Yes to the peacemakers and to the poor in spirit. The resurrected Jesus is exhibit A, that non-retaliation is the way to peace. That loving our enemies is the way to life. That because Jesus is alive, we can put all of our weight into his promises. The resurrection is God's yes to every promise that Jesus makes. And Easter declares that we can count on every single promise he made. It says that even when the news of that day isn't good, the good news of Jesus is. That you and I, were going to be made perfect. That you're going to have living water flowing out of the very center of your being. That in the middle of the pandemic, even in the face of, of climate change and racism and separation and financial ruin, you're going to see his people lifted up to be with him. You're going to see him draw all of humanity to himself. You're going to see him resurrect you on that last day because he's alive. The word impossible drops from our vocabulary because something happened on that Easter Sunday. And perhaps you can see where this is going. What happened was that the impossible happened. And the word impossible drops from our vocabulary. And if he who experienced the impossible is in the picture, then nothing in the picture is impossible. Because he is alive, we can embrace his audacious claims. What are the claims that Jesus makes for you and I this morning? He says, to all, I am the bread of life. The resurrection says, yes, he is. I am the light of the world. The resurrection says, yes, he is. It says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The resurrection says, yes, he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, he is. I am the one who meets you exactly where you're at. Yes, he is. I am forgiveness and healing in the areas that you need, the resurrection says, yes, he is. I am the comfort and joy that you need. The resurrection says, yes, he is. 
the resurrection doesn't solve all of our problems about dying and death, but it, and it, it's not the happy ending to our life struggle, nor is it the big surprise that God has kept in store for us. No, the, re- the resurrection is the expression of God's faithfulness. The resurrection is God's way of revealing to us that nothing belongs, that belongs to God will ever go to waste. And what belongs to God will never get lost. We can expect good things to happen because all good things belong to God and they will never be lost. We can expect his justice to prevail. We can expect healing in broken relationships. We can expect his kingdom to invade the world with light and with love and with life. Because he's alive, he's at work in the world right now, and he's doing the very things he did before he died. He's bringing his kingdom into being, each one of us, healing, delivering, renewing, and reconciling. And if you're like me, this isn't a magical snap of the fingers. To hear the invitation of resurrection is almost daunting in some ways because we see the, the, the weight of such a gift. And the invitation to participate in a kingdom that would shape the world in a way that we never thought possible. But we look at our own lives and we think to ourselves, I just need to get through tomorrow. I can barely get through today. I am heavy burdened. I am overwhelmed. And it's not like we're given a happy pill on Sunday mornings that snaps our fingers and like a genie, God makes all things good. The resurrection is God saying yes. And our response is just to simply say yes now. And yes, tomorrow. And the day after. It's a daily journey within the loving grace of friendship. A living connection with life itself. Worship team, you can join me at the front. And I can testify for myself that despite my circumstances, my my melancholy, my selfishness, my pride, my ego... And my, my screw-ups, I experienced that resurrection repeatedly. And I think the idea of resurrection can feel so high-minded. I don't need to worry about death just yet. But in the here and now, resurrection is possible. And in every story, there are things that feel like they are dead. Past the point of return. Impossible to recover. And this is what Jesus wants to come into and to be with you. Something happened that day. Love happened, hope happened, joy happened, forgiveness happened, victory happened, the impossible happened, resurrection happened. And the empty tomb lays countless truths in front of us this morning. For some of us, it's to hear the simple truth 
that fear no longer needs to have a hold on your life. Death is defeated. For others, it is that hope is alive, that the good news of Jesus is for you. And for others, it's a revelation that before you went searching for him, Jesus went searching for you. Because at the tomb, Mary goes and she, she's, she's looking for Jesus. But who finds who first? The gardener. Jesus arrives on the scene and finds the one who was searching as if to say, I've always been looking for you. That I'm going to actually come to you where you're at. That I've done the impossible and brought resurrection into the world and I want you to experience that firsthand. And when you get resurrection within you, I want it to work through you. I want you to be resurrection in the world around. I want you to go tell my brothers. I want you to share the power of resurrection with them. And when they get resurrection within them, I want them to share it with the next and with the next and the next because the world that Christ desires is the world that is centered and empowered by the resurrection. When Jesus left that tomb, it was not to the life that was, but is to the life that he calls forward for each of us to be. Regardless of your faith, if, if you're here this morning and, and you would like a deeper living connection, a deeper connection to the possibility of tomorrow, that you need hope wherever you might find yourself, it's just a simple prayer. Maybe it's just simply, yes, please. Uh, I'm falling apart here. Help me. A simple opening of our heart to the one that is always searching for you. Because he is risen. He defeated death. And forgiveness is given freely to all all the world simply to be received so that we could be in relationship with God. Would we open our hearts this morning to receive the forgiveness that we need, the healing that we need, and to be empowered in such a way that we might never be the same? Not by our power, not by our strength, but by his alone. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift that you give to us through Jesus. To be in relationship with you. Thank you for the revelation that we have received, that death has no hold on us. That on that Easter Sunday morning, the declaration of heaven was that death was defeated. That new life was given. And an invitation was laid before all of humanity and to us today 
would you say yes? Would we turn from our ways and turn towards his? That the resurrection was God's great yes to all of humanity. Yes, I love you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I know you. And yes, I am for you and not against you. Yes, I, I, I'm coming to give you life and life abundantly in the here and now and forevermore. For each of us this morning, wherever we might find ourselves on that journey of faith, I pray that there is a peace that passes all understanding that falls upon our hearts, that there might be an openness to consider in our skeptical society the possibility of resurrection, that the impossible happened, and what that could mean for our lives here today. No one is too far gone. Thank you that you meet us where we're at and you bring the same thing to every person, all of yourself. There is no tears in the kingdom of God. It is simply Jesus and Jesus alone for every person here. Give us the courage to say yes this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.